Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy and astronomy-related misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 119 for the first part of November 2014. The topic I'm going to talk about today is the Norway Spiral. On December 9th, 2009, a strange spiral anomaly appeared in the skies over Trondelag, apologize for pronunciation, Norway, and Northern Norway, a day before President Barack Obama arrived to accept his Nobel Peace Prize. As with other weird, unexplained events, especially in the sky, this gigantic blue and yellow or white glowing spiral has become a pet example for many different fill-in-the-blank paranormal phenomena. For the vanilla version of events, at least a day before December 9th, 2009, the Russian government gave an official warning of a rocket test, prohibiting navigation in a large area of their far northeastern territory until December 15th. This region is near the north of the peninsula shared by Norway, Sweden, Finland, and also Russia. On December 9th, the spiral was observed in the night sky for about two to three minutes. Being what we can consider the modern era, many people had at the very least cell phones with cameras and a lot of photographs and even video were taken. They hit the internet quickly, and I remember seeing an email from my astronomy department faculty saying that the students the next day would almost certainly be asking about it and wanting to know what happened. While speculation was quick and crazy on many internet sites, already as soon as it happened, many people not only linked the event with the Russian warning about a missile test, but also to previous missile tests that had failed and produced similar phenomena. The official Russian press initially denied the relationship, but about 26 hours later, they gave in and admitted that it was yet another failed ICBM, Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, the fourth in a row for the Bolava Missile Program. At least, that's what we're told to believe by the military-industrial complex and big media. The most basic and nebulous non-official claim is that this was a UFO, an unidentified flying object. And I agree, it was certainly a UFO, at least for several hours until the Russians admitted that it was theirs. Where I differ from the quote-unquote UFO crowd is that they assume UFO means aliens. It was an alien-created phenomenon, for some purpose. That purpose is as varied as there are varied UFO groups. Unrelated to that is another idea that it was a black hole. Somehow, a black hole opened up in our atmosphere, it produced light and other stuff, and then shut down a few minutes later. Somehow, a black hole produces light, as opposed to sucking up light. How this happened is attributed to just random quirks of the universe, or aliens, that the peninsula's version of HARP made it, HARP being the high-frequency active auroral research program, or even that the Large Hadron Collider, the LHC, which had begun operations a year earlier, had caused it, somehow, in some way. Another cause given by other people is that it was done as part of Project Bluebeam. This isn't Project Blue Book, which was a real U.S. Air Force study into UFOs from 1952 to 1970. Project Bluebeam is, to quote Rational Wiki, quote, a conspiracy theory that claims that NASA is attempting to implement a New Age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via a technologically simulated second coming. 
end quote. While that might be a teeny bit of hyperbole, and there are slight variations to what different people claim Project Bluebeam is, that's really the gist of it. Some governmental or pan-governmental or super-governmental agency is planning to take over the world by creating holograms in the sky of something, be it Jesus or aliens or something else, that would, as a consequence of seeing those things in the sky, suddenly cause everyone to cede all of their authority and freedoms in return for the safety of this governmental or pan-governmental or super-governmental agency. Another component of this is that the hologram will apparently be person-specific, such that it will appear as each person's version of God or space aliens or some such thing. The conspiracy theory of Project Bluebeam has its origins in two people who wrote a book in 1994, and it's kind of spread out since then. There is no actual evidence for Project Bluebeam, but that's never really stopped most conspiracists. And, given that the Norway spiral hasn't really changed how governments work in the last five years since it's happened, as an implementation of Project Bluebeam, it was a pretty big failure. Saving the best for last is Richard C. Hoagland's ideas. Well, idea. Well, very lengthy and very elaborate idea. When I searched through my coast-to-coast AM archives for Norway, I came across six nights when the Norway spiral was discussed. Of those, one was Charles Ostman, who thought that it was either a Russian experiment to jam communications or a climate change experiment via HARP. One of the other knights was Nassim Haramin, who thought that HARP had opened up a black hole. Four were Richard Hoagland. As a way of introducing his thoughts on this phenomenon, I enjoy books, television, movies, and other media that are able to take disparate ideas of phenomena and tie them together under one very broad, explanatory framework. L. Frank Baum did this with many of his books, tying different kinds of world folklore into different manifestations of fairies, all ruled by one overarching woodman. J.K. Rowling did something similar with the Harry Potter series, bringing together lots of different myths and legends, as well as a few things of her own, into a broad explanatory framework of the way magic works in her world. One of the important parts of any good framework, in my opinion, is that it allows for why we don't see it in our everyday lives, assuming that it's supposed to take place in the present day in the present world. This is, for example, where I think Doctor Who fails, but a series like Stargate generally succeeds. Where I'm going with this is that Richard Hoagland does the same thing. He ties together many disparate phenomena into one or two overarching frameworks. In his case, the basis for that framework is hyperdimensional physics or torsion physics. He tends to use them interchangeably. I've already done two podcast episodes on this framework, 19.5 degrees in episode 26, and how to design a hyperdimensional physics experiment in episode 82. To recap, for those who haven't listened to those episodes or don't exactly remember them because they were several months or years ago, the basic tenet or overriding belief here is that there are hidden dimensions that manifest at certain energy locations on spinning bodies, and that you can enhance those energy manifestations by doing certain things, like somehow the pyramids do stuff with these higher hyperdimensional dimension things. I can't really get any more specific than that, because Richard has used this moniker for way too many things to be any more specific. One of the basic problems with it, 
the hyperdimensional or torsion physics as he places it or states it, is that every piece of evidence that he's presented is A, either fundamentally flawed, like his Accutron watch experiments, B, fundamentally wrong, like his claims of highest energy manifestations on solar system bodies being at 19.5 degrees latitude, or have much more mundane, well-understood explanations that are much more likely, like the Norway spiral. As to what exactly Richard thinks the Norway spiral was, I'll let him explain it in his own words for about seven minutes. This is an agglomeration of several quotes in an attempt to get it down to just a few minutes and somewhat in order. If you think that by doing this I'm misrepresenting Richard, I've documented all the quotes as well as the links to Richard's three-part very, very long essay in the show notes for this episode, and you are more than welcome to look through them. It's, it's so simple, I can tell it to you in one word, and then I have well, to say, Well, don't do that. I've got two hours to fill then. Take open minds. Um, <laughs> one word, and then we spend two hours with me, you know, documenting it. All right. Blackmail. No. Yes. Who? How? Them out there, the secret space program. It would be against the rituals to have a full court disclosure. And for all my friends listening out there who are so desperate for an official nod that there is another reality which would make this one pale by comparison, it is not going to happen that way. Now, there is one caveat to that kind of firm prediction. And that is? If somebody who is not being invited to the party suddenly shows up, as may in fact have happened on the morning and evening of December 9th, 2009, then what we prove is, yes, it was the Russian Boulevard launch, and then something grabbed it, George, like a tractor beam, torsion, weapons, technology, which we describe in great length in, in this piece, with links and documents and papers and peer-reviewed. I mean, this is where it all meets the road, because something reached in that free dawn, interrupted the Russian missile test, made a mockery of the most sophisticated weapon system that Putin is testing, mm. again, just before Obama arrives in Norway, as a double whammy message to Putin, Medvedev, and Obama, this you need to pay attention to. It appears to have been some kind of torsion physics, torsion technology, which involves vortices in the ether, spiral waves, and it literally, I mean, if you're familiar with, with any of the science fiction concepts of tractor beams, you know, where on the Enterprise, you know, the captain says, lock on, Scotty, the tractor beam. Yep. That's apparently what this did. It, it, it took the Russian missile and, and, and it, it basically mangled it. it. It spiraled it out of control, stopped it almost dead in the air from moving at 12,000 miles an hour. That requires enormous, humongous energy, George. And it created this incredible vortex of light, which appeared to be the spiraling fuel as this thing was shaken. Think of like, like a rat shaken by a dog, except the dog's invisible. And then you have this corkscrew blue beam, which was seen emanating from the center 
<clears throat> aimed down toward the ground, almost as if it had been projected. I mean, you could look at it two ways, but it was projected from orbit, from space, down toward the ground, or it was a technology which was based either in uh, northern Norway or even in the old Soviet Union, the, the lines of sight of the angles line up to an ancient uh, facility, an ancient, I say ancient, from the 1970s, that was being used by the Russians to test some of this kind of physics in, uh, in uh, this old Soviet Union. One of those two locations, you can plot this cork spiral, this blue, incredible blue beam spiral, which made everybody, of course, think instantly of so-called Project Blue Beam, except when this appeared. And you know, George, as well as I, when this remarkable thing appeared over northern Norway, which was one day before the president of the United States is supposed to arrive and accept his Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. The bottom line, George, in this meta model is that I believe we are being carefully prepared for the announcement, A, we're not alone, and B, there must be a united global effort to find out who is out there and the most important person as part of that global effort is going to be the one man that everyone can kind of agree on, left, right, center, you know, Russian, Indian, Chinese, Burmese, you know, uh, Vietnamese. Yeah. That guy is Barack Obama. Okay, that was actually closer to about four and a half, four and two-thirds minutes. But uh, if you didn't get all that, I'm going to try to summarize and explain based on his other statements as well, ones that I didn't actually include in here. First, it really was a failed Russian missile test, but two, it failed because the secret space program stopped it by three, slowing it down in four, an extraordinary show of force so that five, everyone would pay attention to six, Obama, and that seven, it was stopped using torsion technology. Never mind that only two days after the event, December 11th, 2009, Richard claimed, This was not a missile test at all. Furthermore, it could not have been a Russian missile test. Uh, though I, I don't really think anyone has ever accused Richard of being consistent, this is the exact opposite of what he said before. And at the very least, it shows that you can never, ever, ever work in absolutes with claims like this. Ever. This episode is a little bit unusual in that my intent is not to show positive proof of what the event was. Instead, the intent is to relate the official story and to explain the context, then to discuss some of the so-called alternative ideas. In the end, I honestly don't really care what you believe. I know based on feedback that some of you are going to think that this is an obvious example of how I toe the party line and how could I possibly be so stupid as to believe the official story and where is my kickback money? Something that I'd like to know as well. The response really boils down to Occam's razor and what's more likely to be real. On the one hand, you have a Russian military missile program that has been disaster-ridden for years. The Bulava was a submarine-launched ICBM program that had had 11 test flights since 2005, and up to the one on December 9th, the previous three in a row had all failed. The majority of the others had also failed. You have no official acknowledgement of it until 26 hours later, which really 
seriously does make sense, given the way that Russia controls their media, especially given the fact that the program already was a scandal for the Putin-Medvedev government. Russian military experts have been speculating about systemic weaknesses in the program for weeks before December 2009, and two weeks before it, Sergei Kovalev, a designer of Russian missile submarines in the Rubin Design Bureau in St. Petersburg, told a reporter that many of the components of the system had been ripped out and replaced with more modern components, but ones that had never been tested. Then, you have the spiral itself, which looks exactly like what you would get if you had a spinning craft with two nozzles, one near the axis of spin, and one off to the side due to a malfunction, and I'll link to an example simulation of that. Put that into context with the official explanation, even if it was delayed, and I think that the story is pretty consistent and makes sense in light of the available data. In contrast, you have a bunch of disparate ideas, most laced with unevidenced conspiracy, that tend to conflict with each other. It's not really my job to convince you which story to believe, but for me, the preponderance of the evidence and the ability for this to be explained by known and established phenomena that introduce the least amount of new information clearly tips the scales to the side of the official story. If your standards of evidence are different, and if you believe one of the alternative explanations after hearing or reading this episode, please feel free to politely let me know in the comments and explain your reasoning. The only announcement for this week is that I'm taking another look at the other segments of the show, the new news, the Q&A, feedback, puzzler, as well as the announcements in general. I haven't really done most of those different segments for many, many episodes, mostly because of time, but I'd also like to get feedback from all of you who are hopefully listening. I assume that if you're hearing this that you are listening, as to whether or not they, any of them are still worth doing. Uh, do you like them? Do you like the new news? Do you like the Q&A? Do you like the puzzler feedback, etc.? If not, then I'm fine keeping them out because it generally makes things go faster and easier for me to put out episodes. If you like the segments, then let me know. And if you're interested in other possible segments, also let me know that. that wraps up this topic for the 119th edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned at least a little bit at the same time. For more information about the podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website. You can send an email to podcast at sjrdesign.net, or you can leave a comment in many places, such as the page for this episode on the website, the blog post for the episode, the Facebook page for the podcast, and you can even tweet me. Yeah, I'm, I'm on that Twitter thing. It's at pseudoastro, P-S-E-U-D-O-A-S-T-R-O. I do appreciate the feedback. I'm about nine months behind in responding. But if you also have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. 
Also, please write a review and rate the podcast on iTunes or your podcast website or service of choice. Last time I checked, I'm number 176 in iTunes uh, under the, what is it, the science and nature thingamajigger. Uh, So, rating really does help and might bring me into the top 100. So if you liked it, tell people. 